The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. All right, folks, let me lay out what has happened to this podcast, because I got to tell you, the wind has just been taken out of my sails. Here's here's what happened. Uh, earlier today, I had our favorite co-host, Metal Dave, here in the studio. You'll notice he's not here now. And we recorded what I think was one of the funniest, most interesting, most insightful, coolest episodes that we've ever done. I mean, so proud of it. I mean, David did this movie, Dave's Movie Minute segment that was hilarious. David had like just one, he he was firing on all cylinders joke-wise, and we had so much great information, and the recording was uh, corrupted, so we don't have any of it. We lost all the playback from the Ryan and Dave segments. I am crushed. Crushed is the only way to put it. I am so, so very sad. I don't know what happened. I tried every possible fix I could think of. The only thing that has seemed to work to salvage the playback is I had to just unplug the mixer from the laptop and plug it back in again, and now everything sounds good. And I got to be more careful from now on. I think from now on, before we start recording, we have to test the playback, make sure that everything sounds fine, make sure that nothing is garbled, because if it is, we can lose what was a fantastic recording. And so now, unfortunately, you're just going to get me, and you know I'm going to just kind of get you through some of the main points, and you know hopefully you're going to enjoy it. And it's still going to be very informative, and it's going to be a great show, but man... Man, when Dave was here, it was going to be even more fantastic. But thank you for bearing with us. Uh, We do have a lot of great stuff to talk about this week. It is going to be a fantastic show. And I didn't want us to scrap a show entirely just because we lost the great stuff we recorded this morning. There's a lot to talk about, and it would be just foolish of me and ridiculous and perhaps even a little insensitive of me to not be on the air this week to talk about the music industry When, of course, so much has happened, especially the Vegas shooting in the past week at the Country Music Festival, the Jason Aldean concert of just crushing, just such a saddening, upsetting event. And so even though we lost the original playback, I still have to talk about this and, you know, bring it up with you guys because I know it's on everybody's mind as musicians. And so I wanted to make sure we had something recording. And I actually just got back from Vegas. I was there at the ABA Entertainment Law Conference that was going on over the weekend. So I I wasn't there during the shooting, thank goodness. But um, I have been there to see what Vegas looks like now after the shooting. And I can talk a little bit about that later in this segment because I think that's interesting. But um, it was a great conference. Um, you know, we, of course observed all the proper moments of silence that uh, should be observed or something like that. And, um, it was great networking, met a lot of fantastic entertainment lawyers, especially a lot of lawyers who like me represent artists and are true artist advocates. And it was nice to kind of get together with these folks and talk shop and, uh, exchange ideas. It was fantastic. And so, uh, overall fruitful conference. I'm a little tired. I flew in late last night, 
on the red eye. So, you know, my mind is kind of in, you know, a little scrambled right now, much like the recording that I just did with Dave earlier today. And, but I'm, I'm recovered. I'm feeling good. And, uh, I'm invigorated from that conference. Uh, whenever I get together and talk entertainment law with people, it really renews my sense of purpose about things. So, uh, to the podcast, so we can talk about some entertainment stuff with all of you, the musicians I care so much about. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on our one, two, three, four platforms. iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher is where you can find us. Those rates, those reviews, those subscriptions, they really help, gang. So if you're on one of those platforms, if you're listening to this on iTunes right now, if you're on the iTunes right now, or if you're on the Break the Business website right now, or if you're on Google Play or Stitcher and you're listening to this right now, Take a moment, if you could, if you wouldn't, if you'd be so kind, and let us know if you can leave a review. Just, you know, leave us a nice little review. I would very, very much appreciate it. There are also a number of ways that you can reach out and contact the Break the Business podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ryan K-A-I-R. You could follow my co-host, who again crushed it earlier today. And I'm so sad that we lost the recording at Metal Dave 85. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash break the business. And most importantly, send us those emails. I find that this show is at its best when we're answering your listener questions, when you, the artist, get the opportunity to drive our content in a way that best suits the needs of your career. And you can reach out to us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. And as anybody who emails us will tell you, I respond to everything, any kind of email. If you take the time out of your busy day as a musician, and I know you guys are busy, music careers are a lot of work, many of you have second jobs, and so if you take the time to interview, uh, to send me an email, you better believe I'm going to write you back. So all the more reason, email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com, and maybe you'll give us some great content to talk about on the air. So you can send us some show questions. You can propose topics for us to talk about that are of interest to you. If you want to, and it doesn't just have to be music industry related. As you know from this podcast, we love talking about popular culture. And so if there's a pop culture topic you want us to talk about or a question you want us to answer, send us an email, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also check out my book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It's available on paperback, ebook, and audiobook. So if you like just listening to me in the car, uh, you can get a whole book on uh, Amazon, Audible, the kind of places where you'd find audiobooks, frankly. Our guest this week, so excited to talk to Kevin Bruner, friend of the podcast. Uh, you, He's the vice president of marketing for CD Baby. You heard him a couple weeks ago on episode 100, he was one of those folks that was kind enough to answer a couple listener questions for us to help us raise money for Hurricane Relief, the Hurricane Harvey folks, um, as well as the folks who have been hurt by Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. He was nice enough to help us raise some money, and now we have him back on for an interview. Again, Vice President of Marketing for CD Baby, one of my favorite companies, a true ally of the indie artist. And CD Baby recently completed their DIY Musician Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we talked to him about that conference and got, you know, got him some good artist tips to have him give to us. Quick programming note, folks. We interviewed Kevin just before the Vegas shooting happened, uh, which has two implications. One, it means that that recording didn't come out garble because we, we previously recorded it before my software decided to go haywire. So we still have a good Kevin Bruner interview, thank goodness. 
Um, so you'll still hear this. But the other implication of the fact that we pre-recorded Kevin's interview is that he's not going to bring up the Vegas shooting because when we recorded it, it hadn't happened yet. So don't hold that against him, folks. I assure you, he probably has some very big thoughts and important thoughts about what happened in Las Vegas. But obviously, when I recorded him, he wasn't able to share any of that with me because it hadn't happened yet. But he did talk to us briefly about something that I really think is worth sticking around for. And of the many reasons that you should listen to Kevin Bruner, because he is a font of information. He's going to give you a lot of great tips. The one thing that I really think you're going to want to listen to in the next segment is his thoughts on making the choice in music distributors between CD Baby and CD Baby's main competitor, TuneCore. So here's the situation. If you're an indie artist, you don't have a label, which is good. If you've listened to our podcast, you know that that means I think you're on the right track. You have to figure out how to get your music distributed. So you've recorded music. You want to get it onto iTunes. You want to get it onto Spotify. You want to get it onto Pandora. You want to get it onto all the various download and streaming platforms that are out there to allow fans to consume your content. And that's not really something you can do on your own. You need to work with a company. And thankfully, there are distributors out there who will put your music in all of these various platforms, but they're not going to do what a lot of traditional distributors do, which is take the vast majority of the money that comes in. They're not going to try to own your masters like a lot of traditional distributors would. They really let you stay in control and just see themselves for what they are, which is just a service provider, not somebody who should get to take all of your money and your intellectual property. And two companies that are on the forefront of this low-cost, indie artist-friendly music distribution option is CD Baby and TuneCore. And a lot of artists often ask, well, which one should I go with? And the short answer is they both do a great job. I've spoken with representatives from TuneCore and CD Baby. They're both great. I've had TuneCore and CD Baby folks on the podcast. They're fantastic. I have clients, some of which use TuneCore, some of which use CD Baby. And so the short answer is they're both going to probably do a pretty good job for you. However, there is a difference in how they price their product or their service I should say and that difference might help dictate which one makes sense for your next album and I'm going to walk you through that now so what it comes down to based on the two pricing models of these two companies CD Baby and TuneCore is depending on how much you how much money you anticipate your recordings making that will dictate which service you go with and here's why the costs to distribute with CD Baby are $49 up front. So if you want CD Baby to distribute your album, it's going to cost you $49 up front, regardless of how many albums you sell, regardless of how many streams your material gets. But that's not the only cost you get with CD Baby. CD Baby is also going to take 9% of all the money that comes in. So every dollar that comes in, CD Baby takes $0.09, cents, and gives you the other 91 cents. And so that's their cost model. Contrast that with TuneCore, which does not take any commission from the, mo the money you make through your recordings of the recordings it distributes for you. So a dollar comes into TuneCore, TuneCore sends that dollar right to you. And now you might be thinking, oh, well, that sounds a lot better than CD Baby, but TuneCore also has higher fixed costs. So TuneCore... If you want to distribute an album with them, it's $29 up front, but then you pay $49 per year afterward. And that's for as many years as you want TuneCore 
running your stuff. So if you're distributing, if TuneCore is distributing your album for the next 10 years, that's $490 plus the initial $29 setup fee. So TuneCore doesn't take a commission, but it's going to cost you more regardless of how many uh, records you sell because of their fixed costs. So when you're choosing between these two different services, you have to think about what your projected sales volume is going to be. How much money do you anticipate that you're going to make from these recordings? And that might help you decide which of these two platforms you're going to go with. If you're the kind of artist that brings in a lot of money from your recordings, if you, make a, if you think you're going to make a lot of money from iTunes and from Spotify royalties, then it might make sense for you to look at TuneCore because you might be willing to eat those high annual fees in exchange for TuneCore not taking a piece of your revenues. But if you don't see your recordings bringing in a lot of money, maybe you make most of your revenues through other sources, or maybe you're still very early in your career, um, you might be better off with the low upfront fees of CD Baby because ultimately, you know, having to pay them a small commission is going to be cheaper than paying the annual fees to tune cores. And so where you're going to be in your career matters there. And you really got to be honest with yourself. I know a lot of artists who will say, well, I'm going to go with the tune core option because I know this is going to be a big selling record. And I would say, be careful. You know, you could really lose a lot of money in the long run. And you also have to think about not just the here and now, but 10 years from now, assuming that you want to keep your music on the market for a long time, you know, you have to think about whether you're st it's still going to be worth $49 a year to keep your music out there on TuneCore. Are you going to be still going to be making that much money off your music by then? And if not, maybe the CD Baby option, option works better for you. But honestly, both platforms have their advantages and their disadvantages in terms of this pricing model. And I have clients who use both. In fact, I've just recently worked with two different clients, one of whom went with CD Baby because it made sense for them financially because they just started out with their music and they didn't want to kind of get, you know, wrapped up in those high annual fees because it was, you know, they were better off just, you know, using the commission model of CD Baby. But I have another artist who, you know, sells a lot more. And so the TuneCore model works well for them. And so you really just have to see what the situation is like for you. But let me add one extra caveat to that. And that's uh, in the interview that's coming up in the next segment, I actually talk a little bit with Kevin about this very issue. And Kevin actually makes a very interesting argument for using CD Baby as your distributor, even if you do bring in a lot of revenues as an artist for your recordings. So give a listen to his argument in the next segment and judge for yourself. And, you know, that might help you get more educated on which of these two distribution platforms might be right for you. And there are, of course, other distribution platforms out there that embrace either one model or the other. Um, but And there are plenty of articles you can go to that can help you sift through the different options. But the two big, big, big uh, players in the indie distribution game are CD Baby and TuneCore. And so evaluating those two models can help you decide which one's best for you. All right. Now I know that a lot of you have Vegas on your mind, as do I. And it was uh, just heartbreaking to hear about that shooting. And when to put it in the larger context of what you just see happening over and over around the world at music venues with the attack on the Bataclan in France and 
the attack at the Ariana concert in Manchester, and now what you're seeing here in Las Vegas. It's, it's just saddening. It's rough to just see this happening over and over. And I know we're all scared. And I, I said something way long time ago. Gosh, it must have been about two years ago when the attack in Paris happened. And one of the things I brought up in that episode is I imparted to musicians that musicians have a special responsibility in events like this to keep creating. Um, your listeners see music as a important form of comfort when difficult things like this happen. And we often use music as a way to contextualize and process the things that have happened, especially when there's so much art that gets created out of the ashes of a tragedy. And that art is powerful and it helps us wrap our minds around this and it helps us move forward. So the same things apply that I talked about back when the Paris attack happened. We need you as creators to continue creating to that's, that's what you're here for. And so we hope that you can all stay motivated and, you know, continue creating beautiful things that can get us through these difficult tragedies and music makes us feel too. And right now, you know, we're all going to need to feel, I think, some of us are going to need to cry from this and your art will help us do that. And some of us will need to laugh and your art will do that. And some of us will need to just dance and forget about all this and get a respite from the world around us. And music plays a role with that as well. And so I hope you all can keep doing what you're doing in that regard and keep creating. And there's something else that needs to be brought up as well with regard to the Vegas shooting. And I know we don't talk politics on this podcast, although there's been precious little of evidence of that the last few weeks. Uh, Dave and I have seen a lot of terrible things with the world around us, and it's caused us to get political more than we usually do. And this episode's going to be no exception because I'm going to get a little political here. But it is ultimately rooted to the music industry and what you all have to do as artists. On this podcast, while we have not gotten political too often, one thing we have done and we do with pride is bring up legislation that we think you as artists need to advocate for, not just because we think it's good policy is a moral issue, but because of how it affects your livelihood. Ultimately, you're, you know, we, this... This podcast is a celebration of you, not just as musicians, but as entrepreneurs, as people taking control of your careers, running your own businesses. Well, as business owners, there are certain policies that are good for business and there are policies that are bad for business. And so frequently on this podcast, we've brought up copyright laws or particular issues that are being considered by Congress in the realm of copyright and uh, intellectual property that we think you should call your congressman about because it's important for your livelihood. It ultimately affects your pocketbook. And so that's what we're going to do here, but it's not going to be in an area you think because it's not copyright or trademark. It's going to be common sense gun laws. Advocating for common sense gun control. And I'm not talking about taking away everybody's guns. 
But I am talking about taking away the kind of guns that Stephen Paddock had in Las Vegas. Taking away those kind of guns, those military-style guns, the ones that allow you to fire off hundreds of rounds in a minute from 400 yards away and 30-something floors up in a hotel, those are the guns I'm talking about. Getting control over those guns is not just a moral issue for you as a musician, and it is, but this is a pocketbook issue as well. Ultimately, this comes down to your livelihood because your fans are at risk. This happened at a music concert, and we've talked about some of the other terrorist attacks that have happened at music concerts. It's no coincidence that these are happening at music concerts. The terrorist playbook is all about making people afraid so that you stay home, so that you don't contribute to the economy, so that you don't live your life, so that you live in fear. And part of the playbook is to make you scared so that you're more willing to allow the government to impose oppression on your freedom, or rather, the government is going to be more likely to create oppression on your freedom so that to make you more quote unquote safe, which causes you to fight against your government. This is right out of the terrorist playbook. It's to make you scared. And so that's why music events get targeted because they're places where people come together. They're places where people get happy together. They're places where people congregate. And so you need as a musician to fight, a, to fight for laws that keep fans safe during music events. Not just because it's a moral issue, but because it's a pocketbook issue. 28% of the average musician's income comes from live performances. And for many musicians, especially a lot of the younger ones, that percentage is substantially higher as the industry is drifting more from being a recording-based industry to being more of a performance-based industry. There are some musicians who 100% of their income comes from live performances. And I imagine I'm talking to a lot of them right now. Fighting for common-sense gun reform, gun legislation is fighting for your own livelihood, fighting for your fans. This is a pocketbook issue for you. If people stop coming to shows because they're afraid of something like this happening to them, that affects your livelihood. Or if music venues start saying, well, you know what? We're going to start having security checkpoints outside of every concert that take you, you know, two hours to get through. People are going to be like, well, screw it. I'm just going to stay home and watch YouTube videos of my favorite artists instead of going to see them live. It's too much of a hassle. These things adversely affect your livelihood. There are fewer, that means there'll be fewer people coming to concerts. I mean, it can even happen in unrelated ways. When I was at the Entertainment Law Conference, I spoke with an attorney who represents a lot of the hotels in Vegas. And you know what this person told me? They said... One of the things that a lot of these hotels are now considering in light of what happened in, uh, during this, uh, this Vegas massacre is going forward, when you go to a hotel in Vegas, you're not going to be able to take your own bags up to your room anymore. They're going to take your bags, run them all through you know, security x-rays or whatever, 
and you'll get your bags up in your room when they're done checking them, which means all your bags are going to be checked. That could cause a lot of people who go to music shows to say, oh, gosh, that's not worth the trouble. I don't want that kind of invasion of my privacy. I'm not going to go travel to music festivals anymore. If that's what is going to, if that's what's waiting for me, that kind of invasion of my privacy, it's just not worth it. I just want to be able to take my bags up to the room. It's, it's a hassle. And so little things like this are what happens and are what happens to your livelihood when we don't have common sense gun legislation. So this is something that you need to fight for as musicians, not just because it's a moral issue, but because you're business owners, because you're part of this industry now and your livelihood is at stake. This isn't just, you know, what we talk about on this podcast is a celebration of you as music entrepreneurs and what that means. And that means that you get to keep more of your income and it means you get to control your own destiny. It means you get to be the boss and it means you get to be on the top of your pyramid. And that is great. And there are a lot of privileges that come with that and you deserve them, but there are responsibilities too. Because now you're a business owner and when you're a business owner, you have to Fight for policies that are good for your business, that are good for your customers, that are good for your fans, because you're the boss now. And people who own companies fight for policies that are good for their companies. And for those of you out there who are saying that I'm being a little crass by boiling down gun control to being more of a money issue for you than a moral issue, I would say two things. One, it's absolutely a moral issue, too. Don't get that twisted. But two you damn right I'm going to make this a monetary issue for musicians because you better believe that the other side is. Think of how much money is being poured in from the NRA to politicians who are fighting against even slight encroachments on the current state of affairs when it comes to gun laws. They're making it a money issue. They're making it a pocketbook issue. And so you need to as well. This is a livelihood issue. Your livelihood is at stake. And so th- those, are, those are my feelings on it. And let me leave you with something ultimately positive because I think we're all kind of feeling very down right now. I'm feeling down because of the, the Vegas shooting, of course. And I'm also feeling down because we lost our, our original recording of this um, and all of David's funny jokes, which, you know, we need Dave here because he, he's sort of the counterbalance because when it's just me, I get really dark and angry and Dave's here and he cracks some jokes and we have a nice balance and I'm so bummed that the recording got garbled. But either way, important things that were discussed here and I'm glad I got to share it with you. But let me let me share with you something very positive because I know we're all looking for the silver lining right now and I'll give it to you. As I said before, I just got back in from Vegas I was spent the weekend there as part of the ABA Entertainment Law Conference, and it was a informative, valuable experience. But let me tell you the Las Vegas I saw. Because when I came in, when I stepped off the plane in Las Vegas, I expected the worst. I expected a city that was going to be demoralized and ravaged and in pain and lost because what else would we expect when we're talking about a city that just faced down the worst act of domestic terrorism in American history. And so I was expecting a sad city, a city that was weakened and I could not have been more wrong. What I saw was a strong city, a city that 
took its punch and kept on fighting. Other than a few signs up that said hashtag Vegas strong and a few other mentions of the event or, or of what happened that day at the conference itself. And I, and you know, little things like that, you would never know that something happened in Las Vegas. That city bounced back like you wouldn't believe. And it was so heartening to see. You can't bring Vegas down. There's too much great stuff going on in that city, too much culture, too much art, too much fun. And the fun was still there. People were strong. People fought. And they still, of course, paid proper grief to those who've fallen. But like many of the great cities in this country, it bent but was not broken. And we can all learn something from how Vegas handles adversity because Lord knows we all have our own adversity in our life. And if we can, if we can bounce back from the tough times half as well as Vegas does, and then we're all going to be pretty strong people. And it certainly made me very proud to be an American for sure. All right, Kevin Bruner coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. He is the vice president of marketing for the music distribution service CD Baby and is the host of CD Baby's DIY musician podcast. You can find him on Twitter at KBruner and check out his podcast at CDBabyPodcast.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are happy to have on again Kevin Bruner on the Break the Business podcast. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good we to be here. Are, oh, fantastic. We are thrilled to have you on because you and CD Baby recently completed your 2017 DIY Musician Conference. It took place in Nashville back in August. And I know it's an ambitious project for you guys to put on together every year. So what's your exhaustion level at this point? Are you incredibly <laughs> exhausted or ridiculously exhausted? Well, I am definitely in recovery mode. Uh, <laughs> had, had to, uh, you know take a couple of weeks to put myself back together and still, you know, I think we're back in the normal groove again and uh, starting to plan for next year already. Already. Well, <laughs> let me give the folks some background on uh, the conference here. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot to like about CD Baby's DIY musician conference. If you're an indie artist, it's a lot more affordable than some of the other conferences out there. It was only $99 this year. And artists really get a lot for their money. There's sessions, um, lots of sessions. There's one-on-one mentoring opportunities with some pretty impressive names in the industry, including quite a few folks we've been thrilled to have on this podcast. So let me just ask you out of curiosity, just purely from a business standpoint, how are you guys able to offer so much at this conference at such a low price point? Are you just not paying any of your employees at CD Baby? Are we going to have some kind of federal issue here? Uh, yeah, we're, you know, we, we wanted to make it affordable. That's one of the key things we wanted to do with the conference is make it affordable for artists. So we're not trying to make money off the conference. In fact, we lose a little bit of money uh, putting it together. But, you know, we it's not intended to make money. It's intended to be a, a service to artists 
to uh, help them move their careers forward. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's how we keep it cheap and affordable. I had a feeling that that was going to be your answer. That this just is this isn't something you guys try to turn a profit on. You you, you run a loss. It's just kind of uh, your public service thing, which makes sense considering how long CD Baby's been in the game and has been a friend of the indie artist helping provide a low-cost distribution option uh, for musicians out there. It's fantastic. Um, what were some of the big takeaways from this year's conference? Did you have any personal favorite presentations? Did you learn anything new yourself? Uh, yeah. It was, you know, it, it's also hard being that we're putting on the conference for me to actually sit and listen to much of the content. But uh the stuff that I did catch, you know, we had a great session about Facebook Live. I think uh, Facebook and their entrance into the video market is going to be something that artists need to watch. We actually had a company come on board last minute and uh, broadcast a lot of the content from our main room on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. So, you know, live video streaming and the technology around that is going to be evolving quickly. You know, and it's you know, Facebook is a big opportunity in the video space. I know there's been video on Facebook for a long time, but monetization and just better interfaces and it geared more towards entertainment are things that are going to be coming up shortly. Facebook's investing a lot of money in uh, original content as well. So that platform is going to shift drastically in the coming years. And it's something artists should be paying attention to. Also, YouTube had a big presence at our conference. They sent the team and led several sessions and, and it's still a powerhouse for artists and, uh, artists, uh, you know, being able to connect with fans and build an audience. No, it's interesting. So that, lot, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I would say, I would say the final takeaway that you know was very obvious to me this year is that you know we have fully shifted from a uh, a store-based music business to a platform-based music business and uh, what I mean by that is that in a store-based music business there's no real difference between buying a download or a CD from any store the experience is the same you get a music file on your uh, your phone or device, or you get a CD, that experience is the same. But now all these different music platforms, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, things that are popping up gonna and happen in the future with Facebook and Apple Music, they all are different and they all have advantages to artists if you understand how they work. And they work uh, in some cases in very different ways. And, and the way they feature music can be very different. And artists understanding what's happening on these platforms and how to take advantage of those differences and uh you know advantages that they, they might provide are you know something that's very useful for artists and they need to pay attention to where in the past a store was the store it was just where a person happened to like to buy music but now you know if your music is working on pandora that same music might not work on spotify or it might work well on some some other platform just based on how those platforms trigger music and have algorithms promoting different content. Yeah. That's one of the great new themes of this industry, isn't it? That, you know, used to be 20 years ago, all the artists, all musicians were all making different levels of money, but we're all making money the same way. It was, you know, kind of the same formula, record sales going out and touring. And now the ways that artists can make money in their careers 
you know, are as varied as all the genres of music out there. And it's pretty exciting that there are all these platforms that are out there. I want to bring you back to Facebook because I'm, I'm curious about this. When I think the way artists use Facebook, I think obviously social media promotion and maybe putting your videos on there as a way for folks to enjoy them. But you brought up that delightful M word with a Facebook monetization. Uh, what sort of monetization opportunities might be on the horizon for musicians with Facebook? Well, they haven't rolled anything out officially yet to the masses. They're doing some testing. It'll probably look very similar to the type of monetization that's happening on YouTube. I mean, really, they should have had this locked in already. Uh, but, you know, uh, people are uploading content to Facebook just like they upload it to YouTube. And so they need a content ID type system and that's in the works where they can uh, find various assets that are being uploaded and turn monetization on. And yeah, like I said, they're, they're in a lot, doing a lot of testing with, and with limited number of accounts and have yet to officially roll out to the masses, but that'll be coming soon. It's, there's a lot of pressure on them from the major labels to, to get that rolling as soon as possible. For sure. Let me ask you a conference general kind of conference question here. How important is it just generally for indie artists to attend conferences like the one you guys offer in Nashville? Is this something, is conference attending something that musicians should make a regular part of their careers? Is there a minimum amount of career success that a musician should have before a, attending conferences might be worth it? Well, I think they should attend our conference every well, year. Well, natu <laughs> naturally, if you're going to go to one conference. <laughs> Actually, I kid. But at the same time, I for, for CD Baby, I have gone to uh, so many different conferences to speak and attend all over the country, all over the world, really. And part of the reason why we started this conference is that the frustrating thing I experienced over and over again is that so many of the music conferences out there, they have sort of a split audience. They have music business people kind of having business conversations and half the audience is artists. And while the, the discussion may be interesting to artists, it doesn't really help them get from point A to point B. So we really spend a lot of time making sure that the content is geared toward independent artists and that it's not something where they're going to hear the head of Sony, you know, complain about royalty payouts. That's not helpful to me as an artist. Um, that might be an interesting business dialogue, but as an artist, that doesn't really advance my career. So we actually spend a lot of time vetting our speakers, making sure their content is actionable and going to help artists. It's funny because I think, I, you know, I've probably had the opportunity to speak at like 30 plus different conferences at this point. And I think only once anyone asked me what I was going to speak about beyond like, hey, so we can put it in the, the guide. But like, we want to know <laughs> what you're going to deliver to our audience. Sure. I've, so I've, I've always found it odd that, you know, people are spending lots of money to go to these conferences and the, the people putting on don't even really know if the attendees are going to get value out of what the speakers are saying. So we've made it uh, a key uh, thing of what we do that we we uh, vet and, and make our speakers, you know, deliver the goods and if, to the benefit of the artist. So um, 
I think our conference feels very different and it's very community driven. That's one of the things that we've been also putting a lot of effort on. We have like a jam room and it's just an amazing experience where artists just get together. And what we found is that artists, you know, coming from all over the world and a lot of times, you know, they're in these places, even if they're in a big city, they don't have many people in their life that really understand what it is to be an artist and what it feels like to be an artist. And, you know, it's, it's a whole different animal. Um, and, uh, so sometimes it can feel pretty lonely and that you're out there on your own and you don't have a good support system. And so it's just an amazing experience to be in the same room with a bunch of like-minded individuals. So I think there's value in attending a conference, even if it's not ours. I think when you get to these places, it opens yourself up to a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different artists, a lot of different pieces of the industry that you may not have had exposure to, especially if you're not in a big town like L.A., New York, or a, a music industry mecca like Nashville. So it, it can really help you uh, see things that you that you wouldn't normally see just by reading books or following some blogs. Well, next year's DIY Musician Conference, folks, it's going to be in Nashville again, August 24th to 26th. Mark your calendars now. Kevin, last time we had you on the podcast, which was back in February of last year, which, God, seems so long ago, <laughs> we, we had you speak a bit about your time uh, as a musician in the Grammy-nominated band Small Town Poets. During our interview we had you recount your time with the band and specifically had you talk about your experience being signed to a major label, uh, an EMI imprint. And as part of that major label experience, you remarked that your band had little control, were the last to get paid, and you didn't own your own music. Now, I know you've answered a version of this question the last time we spoke to you, but we have a new audience now, so I was wondering if you could recount a bit about your band's major label experiences and how it guided you into your current work today at CD Baby. Yeah, so let's see, where to begin? <laughs> uh, Let me go put on a pot of coffee. Yeah, it was one of those experiences that was amazing and frustrating at the same time. And, you know, this was the mid to late 90s, and the business was different than at that time as an artist. You had two options. You could uh, you could be independent. You you were probably weren't going to have enough money to be able to record a decent sounding album, so your album would still be classified as a demo. Or you could get signed to a label who would you know foot the bill for a very nice recording studio, and you'd have a professionally sound professionally sounding product. So there was a lot of things that. Uh, we're amazing about that experience. We sold a lot of records. We were nominated for a Grammy. Uh, and, but with that whole machine comes a lot of downsides as well. First off, the, the one that I think is the, the thing that artists are very flippant to just give away is you no longer own that music. It's the property of the record company. And when you're you know, younger and, or your career's new, however old you are, it doesn't matter, whether your career's new and you're like, hey, I'm going to sign this thing and they're going to own the rights to my music. Oh, I don't care. Five years from now, I won't care. Ten years from now, I won't care. That's just 
uh, you absolutely will care because time passes and opportunities for music pop up and you don't have the right to do anything with that music. I can't go license that music. Even if someone came to me and said, hey, we want to pay you 10 grand to license that track. I don't have the right to do that. I can't go print more CDs for us to sell on the road without them uh, doing that for me. Uh, you just don't have any access to it. Um, and it really becomes, uh, uh, for us, it created this chasm in our career because we took a long hiatus. Uh, there was four albums that were on labels, and then we took a long hiatus and started making music again. And uh, we started doing it independently, and we were trying to reinvigorate that old catalog. And there was this weird thing of like the new music uh, we have at our shows and can sell, but the back catalog that we're more known for wasn't available anywhere. I mean, it's available online and like iTunes, but we couldn't sell it at our shows. We couldn't really incorporate it in YouTube and things that we're doing. And it just creates in, in 2017, it just creates this weird mismatch that just shouldn't happen. Uh, as an artist, you want to be able to own your music and be able to do whatever you want with it. You want to be able to give it to your fans to let them do whatever they want with it so they can do crazy things with your music that me makes you reach new audiences that you never imagined you possibly could. So that was one thing. Then, you know, you're the last to get paid. You know, when they pay to, to get your album made and market your album, they want their money back before you get money. Yeah. And so uh, it's that takes a while before that money starts to trickle through if it ever does at all and then uh what was the other point it was the last get paid you don't own your little music control. and uh little control what was it had little, little control. control yeah yeah these were your words man <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah you have very little control you you can't you can't just do what you want with it it's you have to get approval you have to uh you know especially in that era with a record company there was you know, some guy in some office making a decision and, you know, maybe he had a bad lunch and has got stomach trouble. And so he's upset and he's not feeling like very happy. He just doesn't want to be agreeable. You know, it's just ridiculous stuff that gets in the way of you just being able to reach fans. And so back then there was this big chasm between the artist and the fans as well. And the record company and the whole distribution system of stores was the only way to bridge that gap. Now you have direct access to fans on the web, so you don't need all that garbage. So if you're going to sign a deal with the label and they're going to take control, you better be getting something really good in return. And if you're going to go that route, you at least need to know what you're getting into. And you need to look at it and go, my career is going to outlast this relationship with this label. They are going to drop you. It doesn't matter who you are. If they're signing you, they are guaranteed to drop you at some point. <laughs> and so they are not the end, end be all of your career. They are just hopefully something that is a stepping stone to a broader audience. If they're not, you're making a giant mistake. And so for artists, they just need to understand how uh, these things impact them long term because you don't need people to access an audience online. You can do so many great creative things to access fans directly and get them to follow you and get and own that relationship and drive revenue. Uh, so if you're gonna cut somebody else in, they better be doing something worth the money. Sure. And now today you're the vice president of marketing 
at CD Baby, a music distribution service that seems to be predicated on the notion of giving artists all the control, making sure they're the first to get paid, and allowing artists to own their own music. How does CD Baby compare to some other music distribution options that musicians have had out there? Because, I mean, certainly there are some older models like the ones you had when you were in Small Town Poets versus the options that artists have today. Yeah, I, you know, there's lots of options out there. And I know I work at CD Baby. And so people, someone might say, yeah, you have to say that. But I, I, this is my honest uh, statement as an artist <laughs> myself. <laughs> I love, I love our model because CD Baby has skin in the game. We want to make sure our catalog of seven and a half million songs are making money because if, if they're making money, we make some money. There's a lot of models out there that are different that don't make money uh, when artists make money. So they have no incentive to really make sure that the catalog is fine-tuned that is delivered to as many places as possible, that is, uh, you know, taken care of, uh, because there's a lot of management work that happens on the back end to make sure that uh, your music is meeting the requirements of all these platforms. Because it's not like Spotify today is the same as Spotify in 2009. There's, they upgrade artwork requirements and audio files, and we take care of all that to make sure your music stays current and uh, meeting the needs of all these uh, digital service providers. So, and we, we're here to, we've got a giant call center of artists, a lot of them artists that are just answering people's questions and helping them out. Uh, a lot of the other options out there, they're set up like the health club industry. And if you notice, the health club industry, what they really care about is getting you to pay an annual fee. They don't ever want you to come work out. <laughs> when you go to the gym, there's nobody there. And that's how they want it because they don't want to buy new machines and manage all that stuff. They want people paying an annual or monthly fee and hope you never show up or need anything because uh, they don't want to spend time with you. For us, it's the exact opposite. And uh, like I said, we, we've been around for, uh, we're going on 20 years. Next year will be our 20th anniversary. And we've been paying artists weekly which is another big thing that uh you know you can trust that cd baby's going to be around when you distribute your music through cd baby uh, we're going to be here in five years and ten years when your music's still out there making money we're not going to suddenly disappear and you'd be uh left in the lurch trying to figure out how to manage your music that's now suddenly everywhere um so yeah it's I've I've actually looked at trying out some other models and I'm like, I just don't want to. I don't want to pay someone annually just to have my music out there because the thing with music, and this is one of the things, you know, as an artist where it's just like I just can't let it go. I'll I'll be I'll be recording music until I die. I'm I'm guaranteed it. Just because it's like you never know when success is gonna happen with music. That's what I think is one of the coolest things is that you never know when it's going to hit. We see this happen all the time. I've had it happen in, in uh, my life over and over again. Uh, you never know when that phone call is going to come and they're going to say, hey, we just licensed this track or we just uh, added you to a playlist and suddenly you're streaming like crazy. There was an artist that we got featured in the New York Times. His name's Perrin Lamb. He distributed some music through us and uh, you, can log, you know, I could log into his account and see for a year 
pretty much absolutely nothing happened with it. Uh, then suddenly, randomly, someone at Spotify heard a couple tracks and liked it and added it to a couple of their playlists. Suddenly, within, I mean, with instantly, he's like streaming tons and tons. He's had, he has millions and millions of streams now, and he's made probably pushing close to $100,000 from those two tracks being added to a couple playlists on Spotify at this point. And it is just one of those things where it's like, if he'd gone that year and gone, ah, I don't want to pay an annual fee for this, I'm going to pull it down, he would have missed out on some serious money. And this, like I said, this happens to me still on a regular basis. Uh, I've got uh, another band that uh, we don't play anymore called Hello Morning that was based here in Portland, Oregon. We did a couple records. I think they sound great. And we've actually gotten quite a few placements off of it. In fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, I got a call saying that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was going to license one of our tracks for usage in some new installation that they are putting in. Uh, I guess I, I would assume it's just like background music in, in a certain area of the museum. But it's like, that's pretty darn cool. You know, if you're concerned about paying annual fees and things and going, I should just take this down. It's, it's, it's costing me too much to keep it out there you're missing out on future success. And so that's why I like our model. If your music's not selling, you don't owe us anything. If if uh, it sells, we're a partner in your success and we're actively doing things to try and, and make sure that our catalog is earning money. That Perrin Lamb story is one of my favorite stories in independent music. What a, It's super cool. Uh, uh, the article he was referring to in the New York Times, folks, is titled, Independent Musicians Find Unexpected Rewards in Streaming. It's a 2015 article, but it's really terrific. And you, you can just see how getting featured on a Spotify playlist made Perrin Lamb a whole lot of money overnight uh, through CD Baby's distribution. CD Baby, you guys have always been just a true friend of the indie artist. You've been around for a long time. And I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your wisdom with us on the podcast. Before we let you go, Kevin, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Sure. Uh, the first thing is, you know, music is a lifelong pursuit. And it's really easy as artists to get really caught up in the now and feel like I have to have all this stuff happening now. I'm going to miss the boat. The, the number one thing is that you spend the time and effort developing your craft and just continue to get better. Most of the artists that I see that are building a uh, sustainable career that pays their bills and they live off of music are building a catalog of music and keeping it up there and uh, just building and building off that catalog so it becomes like this mutual fund of music that just churns out revenue for them and so it's you got to focus on your craft you got to build a catalog and then you've got to learn how to uh you know communicate who you are in a compelling way so people care and want to hear what you're doing and so uh, it's it's a, like i said it's a lifelong pursuit it's something that if you're just looking for uh you know something that, a quick success it's probably not the right business for you <laughs> <laughs> but if it's something that you're passionate about creating music, you're passionate about art, you love interacting with people and communicating music to other people, and just it's who you are, uh, you just got to keep rolling. You got to keep growing and, and things will happen. 
You can find him on Twitter at K-B-R-E-U-N-E-R. Check out his podcast, the DIY Musician Podcast at cdbaby.com. And of course, be sure to check out next year's DIY Musician Conference in Nashville, August 24th to 26th. Kevin Bruner, it has been a pleasure. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again (laughs) real soon. Anytime, anytime. We'll be right back on the Break the Business Podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Kevin Bruner for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to throw him a follow on Twitter. He's one of my favorite people and one of my favorite Twitter followers. He's at K-B-R-E-U-N-E-R. And while you're at it, be sure to also check out his DIY Musician podcast with Chris Robley, another guy we've had on the podcast before. You can find that at cdbabypodcast.com. And keep your eyes out for next year's DIY Musician conference. It'll be in Nashville as well. August 24th to 26th, mark your calendars for that. This stuff, these kind of conferences, you can learn a lot. And on this podcast, we don't recommend a lot of conferences because I think a lot of them are very expensive. And in terms of bang for your buck, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're a struggling musician, you don't have a lot of money, it's hard to really find a conference that's worth your time. Not that they're not great conferences, but dollar for dollar, you know, when you, when you're trying to choose between, you know, paying your rent and, you know, going to a conference, if a conference is expensive enough to actually force you to make that choice, then you're going to pay your rent. But that being said, there's a lot for me to recommend when it comes to this DIY musician conference, because it's a lot more affordable than the other conferences out there. And it's directly geared to you, the independent artist, not just to the music industry in general, and not just all musicians, but you, the indie artist who's trying to you know, learn more about how to create, promote, distribute, and raise money for your own music project. So cool conference, lots of great information, affordable price, uh, might be worth going to. DIY Musician Conference uh, coming to Nashville next August from the 24th to the 26th. And while you're at it, if you're looking for tips on how to move your music career forward, let me throw you another plug for my book. Uh, You can check it out on Amazon.com, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and achieving true success in the music industry. It's in paperback, it's in ebook, it's in audiobook. I, much like the DIY Musician Conference, I wrote this book specifically for you, the indie artist. It is geared right to the stuff that you're trying to do. If you're trying to create your own music, if you're trying to market that music, find good distribution options, find ways to crowdfund, and more, most importantly, to discover why the indie method is best for you as an artist and conventional means of getting your music out there like record labels are dangerous, uh, the book talks all about that stuff. And so again, that's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, paperback, ebook, audiobook. I, I, I really do think it can help you guys out. Again, our thanks to Kevin Bruner for joining us, and my thanks to you as always for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.